Hi there, my name is Annie Sestock and it is my honor to be speaking with you tonight. I am on staff with Campus Outreach at Center College in Danville, Kentucky, and tonight I'm gonna to be speaking on how God's love leads people to experience spiritual freedom from sin and Satan, and to then be motivated to invite others to also experience God's love. Essentially, I hope to share why outreach and evangelism, the sharing of the good news of Jesus' arrival to earth and his death and resurrection is so beautiful and a joyful responsibility of believers to share with others. So thank you for this virtual invitation to be in your homes and let's get started. As we unpack God's word, if you take anything away from this talk, hear this. Because of God's love for you and I, Christ has invited himself into, well, really crashed into, our own stories of brokenness, isolation, and pain with the power of the gospel to set us free from Satan's chains of fear, loneliness, and sorrow so we could feel God's love for us. In doing so, we can now crash into the lives of our broken and isolated friends and neighbors with invitations for them to also experience the hope-filled good news of Christ. If you've got your Bible nearby or a Bible app handy, please open it and find the book of Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah is in the Old Testament, and if you were to open up your Bible and land in the middle, you'd probably land in the Psalms. And the way that it goes then is Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and then Isaiah. But here's a little context about this book to help us set the scene. First, the name Isaiah literally translates to the Lord saves. Kind of cool. But this is also important because, one, the prophet, the man or woman that God set apart to hear from him and then relay his special messages back to the rest of the Israelites, the prophet who wrote this book was actually a man named Isaiah. And two, it was also the theme of the message that God was telling his people in this Old Testament book. Throughout Isaiah, you see the Lord telling his people that he is the one at the center of everything. He's the one working to fulfill. He's the one setting the stage to reclaim what was lost. And he's the source of never stopping joy for his people. Isaiah was telling the Israelites that they can only see themselves and find truth strength as they paradoxically rest with confidence and take delight in who God is and his faithfulness to the promises that he has made with them. So keeping this theme in mind, let's read chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Isaiah wrote these words hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Yet at the beginning of his own ministry, Luke 4 records how Jesus read this while he was teaching in the temple. Jesus was declaring that he is the visible son of God who comes to rescue those in isolation. And as we continue to read in the other gospels of Matthew, Mark, and John, we see that Jesus does this through loving and relational engagements at dinners hosted by friends and strangers, wedding receptions, funerals, in the middle of crowded, busy streets, and inside the temple. Verses 1 and 2 highlight the expectant arrival of the long-awaited Savior who comes being sent by his Father out of a love for us. And Jesus says that he is the fulfillment of this prophecy. John 3.16 says that it was because of God's great love for our world, us, the people in the world, 
that he sent his own pure, holy, and beloved son to enter our world to tell us the good news in our prisons, places of poverty, deep wells, and pits of mourning to say, my father sent me here to tell you that he has not forgotten you, that he loves you so much that he sent me, his own son, on a mission to save you and to give you a way back to him. Verse three goes on to show the beautiful purpose of God's outreach to isolated and hurting sinners. It says, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Jesus is the great rescuer who comes to heal, free, and bring oneness to the isolated, both within and outside of the church. This is the good news to the believer and the unbeliever, because we all hold our own stories of isolation and sin. And our sin has actually kept us isolated from him and his father. Yet God is the one who made the first move to invite us back into a reunion with him by sending Jesus to be with us and make a way for the reunion to happen. He came and experienced isolation from his father, who before he had never been separated from, so that we could be given an opportunity through his death and resurrection to then step toward God and be healed, embraced, and welcomed back. At this point, you may be tracing the hand of God through your own life. What I mean by that is that you might be thinking back to moments when it couldn't have just been a coincidence, or you're thinking about who first shared the gospel with you, or who has been consistently telling you about God's love for you. Or maybe you're thinking back to when you think you might have experienced the love of Jesus, through the moments of interaction and engagement with friends, with family, with other people who say that they follow Jesus. These individuals in your life were, or still are, the oaks of righteousness that God has specifically planted into your story. The Spirit uses these oaks to bring you the good news of the gospel through their own stories of isolation and help you become an oak of righteousness to others. God shows that he isn't just a God, who comes to save us from sin and Satan, but that with him, there's also some seriously joyful work to be done with living a new life within the new freedom that he provides. His master plan of making us into oaks of righteousness is seen in verse four. It says, they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. The fruit of a believer's faith is seen by the way they engage in building, raising, and seeking to repair what has been ruined in their lives and in the world to bring people into this new and active community God is creating from the very places of isolation that we were saved from. And so let's break it down. Here's what God wants believers to do in regards to outreach and evangelism. There's four things. And the first thing is to feast on his love. He wants us to take serious delight in seeing him, his power, his majesty, and his compassion for us, and to cause us re to rejoice, to worship him. He wants us to return to him again and again, time after time, to enjoy his presence and learning about who he is. The second thing is that God has a wild way of helping us begin to see others that may have always been in our sphere of life, 
but who now seem to carry a new significance. God tells believers the second thing, to befriend the people in the world around us with a genuine interest and offerings of real friendship. In John 17, Jesus speaks of the oneness that he has with his father, and he asks his father in his prayer that his disciples would also become one like he and his father are. Jesus wants the disciples to have a sure confidence in experiencing this covenantal love of God that Jesus and his father get to share and experience, but through the tangible expressions of love between the disciples as a spirit-filled family. And Jesus extends the prayer to believers today to become one as well so that we can experience the love of God through loving and serving each other. And God's heart in believers experiencing this is that we would remember we too were once far off from God and in need of his love and saving grace so that we will then in remembering that take serious Jesus's command today in Matthew 28, 16 to 20 about engaging with the people around us who don't know of God's love from a posture of friendship with the motivation that as we share the gospel, as we go to the nations to make disciples, followers of Jesus, we do so from a place of genuine love, praying and trusting and believing that maybe one day these people too would become joyful followers of Jesus. So look up and take note of the people who have rhythms in a normal day that overlap with yours. These may be the people who seem to be especially highlighted by the Lord that God wants you to engage and befriend. Remember, you're holding an invite God designated to be passed on and shared with you and that for you to then pass on and share with others who haven't met him yet. Now we're moving on to number three. Because of how the gospel is impacting you as you spend time with God and learning about the good news and hearing it over and over again, start, number three, telling others about God's love and the joyful feasting that you've been doing while also being vulnerable and sharing about your own brokenness and your own broken story. To really love this family of God and others, we must spend time addressing our own roadblocks to outreach and evangelism, our inner fears, the stories of shame and our struggles with brokenness. We are completely free to share all of us, including our messy stories, with a lot of joy because God has already addressed our shame as sinners at the cross. And he's actually honored us as beloved daughters and sons who each get a doubled inheritance. If you look down at Isaiah 61 verse 7, it says, Instead of our shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, we shall rejoice with our lot and have everlasting joy. In my own story of isolation, it wasn't until Christ believing and following women invited themselves into my own life through offers of hospitality that I began to relearn God's love for me. They asked me to join in everyday family and friendship events while bravely sharing their own stories of shame, which highlighted God's holy presence and grace intervening in their lives. And it made me begin to believe that maybe God's power and his grace could intervene for me. These women surrounded me with hugs and with prayers when I couldn't speak my fears because they remembered what it had once been like to be silenced by fear and filled with doubt. Once, even my freshman college hallmates gathered together to sit in the middle of the hallway with me as I cried over a broken relationship one night. 
These friends listened, they cried with me, and they sat with me in my grief. Then, when they spoke the gospel, it filled me with hope. I experienced fellow daughters of God entering into my story that I might taste what redemption could bring me. And their actions and words convinced me, neither they nor the God of the gospel, who says that he loves me, would leave me as they found me. Number four, lastly, what God wants you to do is invite them to come and taste, see God's love for them. They've seen your life and heard how you speak of this God and the work that he's done and is still doing in you. Your life is a witness to a, a whole new life that is actually possible for the people in isolation to also experience through Christ coming towards them through the invitations that you can give them. And your life and friendship with them should be filled with moments from the Holy Spirit where invitations can be given that you can offer a chance for them to join you, to feast with you, to come alongside and experience God's love. When it comes to outreach and evangelism, remember these two truths and let them fill you with relief and encouragement as you go out and share your faith. The first is that God is already going before you to help prepare the way. And two, that the changing of hearts is his job, not yours. It actually is the work of the Spirit alone to save and transform hearts. That means for believers, they're entrusting the people that they love and the friends that they meet and want to share the gospel with to the Spirit entirely. We as believers are asking God and the Spirit and Jesus to give us wisdom to our actions and our words as we wait, as we patiently continue to love, and as we constantly pray for moments to invite these dear friends who don't know God to actually see him and meet him. Because the sad reality is that if broken stories are met with criticisms, quick fixes, or uncomfortability and discomfort on our part, it will send non-believers and even believers further into isolation and grow their distrust of the gospel. Befriending others, telling them about God and through the lens of your own story and inviting them to learn about God for themselves requires us as believers to pray. So we pray that the Holy Spirit, whose power raised Jesus from the grave, would be at work through our patient care, our purposeful questions, and creative invitations for them to come join us in doing life so that these beloved friends and family would be freed from sin and Satan and experience the present and the future hope of God's blessings. And I've seen how God has used my own simple everyday moments of caring for others and intentional befriending to lead to more open doors for the gospel to be extended. So last fall, I invited a couple student leaders from Center and their friends to join me on an afternoon experience to check out Shaker Village in Danville. One of these students actually passed along the invite to a first year international student named Rose. Um, I paid for the small group's entry fee and we spent the afternoon strolling the grounds, trying out the food trucks and just getting to learn about each other's lives. I actually asked Rose about her family back home in China and what she was enjoying and struggling with about American culture and what adventures she hoped to have before she returned home. In being curious to find out what was important to her and understanding how she related to the world, I actually, and she was because she was engaging, we were building a bridge to each other. She was being known 
and she was being accepted. Same with how she was relating to me. I was being known and I was being accepted. A friendship was occurring. Rose actually later mentioned that she was surprised by the love that she experienced from the Christians at Center College. And she was floored by the extraordinary kindness of a free ticket and the genuine curiosity and friendship that she experienced on a normal Saturday afternoon. She actually joked at the end of the day saying that she just might become a Christian because of the way that these believers loved her. So to share the gospel and reach out to others does not have to be a huge or grand gesture. Feel the freedom to reflect on your life and see who on a regular basis you actually could challenge yourself to spend a few moments in a day or some moments in a week just slowing down and actually getting to know who this person is getting to befriend them a little bit better. Maybe commit to spending time remembering how God showed you his love through the friendships and the circumstances that actually caused you to rejoice and to feel the love of God. Don't forget that it's God who's the one that does the saving. He invites us to feast on his love and then be being open to being used by him to actually reach out to fellow broken people who are living in broken cities in this broken world, who desperately need to hear about a God, who loves them and wants to be reunited with them. Because let's be real, we're living in a pandemic where isolation has been taken to a whole new level. We see more than ever the need of God's power to crash into the lives of the isolated, the marginalized and the broken with loving arms and the good news of the ability to become one with Christ. In Nancy DeMoss Wolgamuth's book, adorned, living out the beauty of the gospel together, Nancy actually encourages self-vulnerability and outstretched hands of friendship when she writes, God settles and stabilizes our hearts even as he broadens us beyond ourselves and our own personal concerns. He places us in close-knit Christ-centered relationships through which we can experience and express more of his love. He makes us at home in others' homes and others at home in ours, to unite us across generations and protect us against our tendencies towards insecurity and isolation, to give us friendships, to give us growth, to give us hope, to give us joy. Yes, we will feel overwhelmed at times. Choosing to invest in others or to receive another's counsel and care involve cost and sacrifice, but none of that can compare with the refreshment, the connectedness and the joy we receive from these relationships, not to mention the greater joy of glorifying God through fruitful lives. The only thing that I would add to this is that since nothing can compare with the freedom we receive from sin and Satan's destruction by the work that Jesus has done on the cross, nor can anything compare with the delight in growing in love with God that connects us to him and other believers, how about we spend some time feasting on the love of God and that our joy from beholding him would move us to befriend the hurting and isolated people we see in our everyday lives so that one day they may be invited to join us in feasting on God's love and truly experience the healing from a king who said he came to give us everlasting joy. Friends, I pray that in this new year and in the years to come, that the Lord would use the gospel to break the chains of your isolation so that Jesus would adorn you with a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, 
and the clothes of praise instead of a faint spirit, so that you will be called one day an oak of righteousness by the people God has placed you in the midst of to extend invitations for a lifetime that people will willingly and with great rejoicing join you in praising the Lord and feasting on Jesus and delighting in what the Holy Spirit has done. That through invitations that are an invitation of a lifetime, we would get to be reunited with God and that not it wouldn't just be us, but it would be the whole world. Thank you for joining me on this Zoom call and I hope you guys have a great rest of the time here in the conference.